Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. My name is John McDonald, and this episode's guest is Greg Davignon, President and CEO of the Business Council of British Columbia. Greg is bullish on BC, to say the least, and I hope you'll find this conversation as encouraging as I did about the future of our province's economy. The exposure he gets on a regular basis to BC's top organizations gives him a unique vantage point when looking at the future of the province and what lies ahead for our economy. Part one of our interview starts now. Uh, well, thanks so much for having me on today. Uh, my name is Greg Davinger. I'm the president and CEO of the Business Council of BC. Uh, it's an organization that has been around in the province for 55 years and it's comprised of the 250 largest and leading companies that have assets and operations in the province, in every part of the province and every part of the economy. And uh, as well, we also have uh, the post-secondary institution uh, presidents at our table as well. So it's quite a unique organization at a subnational level. It started in the 60s, though there was rapid growth going on in British Columbia. The year we started within months, BCIT was formed, SFU was launched. Uh, WAC Bennett, the then premier of the province, was starting to build five brand new dams that we're benefiting from today. And it was a convening place to bring labor and business together on some issues around labor uncertainty in the port. And when you read the minutes, it's quite interesting. Um, the then head of BC Tel, who was the chair, uh, said, boy, this is working really well with Ottawa because of federal labor issues. We should talk to WEC Bennett about the policy and work that we need to do to build BC. So that's really been our ethos. And, and our motto is uh, where leaders meet to unlock BC's full potential. And so it's a business organization and we look at things through an economic and public policy lens. And we have really, really good talent here that uh, does policy work and thought leadership. But our interest is to grow the economy, but in doing so actually lift up British Columbia and British Columbians in a way that uh, people can benefit in an inclusive way. So we do a lot of work uh, in convening uh, labor and indigenous leadership. And um, we have a group called Next, which are 650 of the high potential young people in our uh, society that are entrepreneurs, but they're also senior leaders in their businesses in their late 20s and early 30s. So we've got some generational uh, convening that we do as well. That's tremendous. I appreciate you sharing that. Before we jump into some of the questions, could you give me a brief overview of your background? I, I went through LinkedIn and saw there's anything from the Prime Minister's office to the salmon farmers and a couple of others. Can you just maybe give a, a, a glossy overview of, of those jumps there? Yeah, sure. Uh, my family on my mom's side uh, came to BC in the late 1890s. Uh, my great grandpa was one of the first dentists in the province and located in Chilliwack because that's where the paddle wheeler stopped uh, as you were going up into the interior for gold mining or uh, forestry or other activity. Uh, so for the most part, grew up in Chilliwack, uh, came to UBC when I was 17 and got my undergraduate degree, um, and then went to go and work for a national financial services firm in Ontario. <clears throat> but uh, through my career, I've always worked in business and highly regulated interest industries, the interface between public policy and government and uh, capital markets and people. And um, in that, I always had an interest and fascination with politics as a hobby and got asked by a friend of mine, Kim Campbell, if I would go to work for her in, uh, I think about 1990, which I did. Uh, and ultimately at the time she was the justice minister and then moved to national defense for a short period of time. 
and then the prime minister's uh, office she won the conservative leadership. Uh, but subsequent to that, I've worked uh, with private sector firms. I've also led industry organizations. Um, and prior to joining the business council where I was a member for nine years, I led a unique uh, organization for Molson Labatt and Sleeman breweries on everything from the regulatory environment to warehousing distribution and wherever there was common interest among the companies. Uh, we ran the biggest recycling program in Canada. Uh, we did a lot of work with indigenous communities around um, harm reduction and keeping people safe. We launched the first fetal alcohol syndrome um, research program in Canada and brought communities and, and provinces together to do that work. So really rewarding, but I got presented with the opportunity to lead the business council, which uh, I've always been a fan of. It's a, just a great organization and um, uh, I've been here now for just over nine years and, and really, really enjoy it. That's so fantastic. Um, going into the BCBC uh, side of things, I've noticed that you have a new, relatively new program called the Economic Dashboard. Can you flush that out a little bit, just about how it came about, kind of in the intent of hmm. uh, intent of it? Yeah, like a lot of things during COVID, uh, things move quickly. And then also in that context, there's lots of voids that have been exposed as a result of what we've all been living through. And the dashboard rationale came really where, you know, as, as a business organization does public policy work based on fact, we're data junkies. But what's emerged during COVID is everyone's become an information and data junkie. You know, everyone tunes in to listen to Bonnie Henry's latest numbers. Uh, you know, we're hanging on uh, what's happened in labor markets and how many people have been unemployed, but more importantly, now we're starting to see that turn around in Canada and British Columbia. So the other reality is, is that, you know, we got a dose of the power of misinformation, uh, particularly through the lens of the US election where there was really two dual universes and people were confused as to what facts are accurate. So um, as we were doing work last April, May and June, I was on the Premier's Recovery Task Force it was very clear that there were so many things that were overwhelming governments around just keeping people safe in the healthcare system open and operating as well as supporting business that people weren't thinking about the medium term around as we start to emerge from this what happens to the economy how do we get on our front foot how do we get people reemployed how do we protect those that are vulnerable and what kind of information do we use to make those informed decisions and you know we may get into it later in the conversation but governments were throwing, you know, just enormous volumes of money at things to keep people afloat and businesses afloat. And um, so I brought together about 85 CEOs and presidents of university to um, build a medium term economic strategy for British Columbia called Stronger Tomorrow Starting Today. And within that, we had 24 recommendations, things that we should be get, get going on. And we launched this last July. Uh, to really take advantage of what we knew was going to be a rapidly uh, growing and recovering economy globally. And how do we position BC and British Columbians for that opportunity? And also you recall at that time in May, April, May, June, July, um, just the ugliness of racism and um, uh, inclusivity was emerging, not just through the murder of, of um, uh, uh, Mr. Floyd, but also um, the reality that 
we were seeing, uh, we took out a big full page ad and did some work uh, because of anti-racism, or pardon me, racism in the Asian community. So there are all kinds of real complex and diverse and divisive issues going on. And we want to bring people together again, back to our convening interest. So um, we launched the work and coming out of that, it was quite clear that uh, we needed some uh, public service and a convening place to get information really quickly, both retrospectively, a lot of data that you get from Stats Canada and others has some lag to it. It could be a week, a month, uh, GDP numbers are a year. But also we wanted to get real-time data, so streaming data and actually inform where the trends are going. So what are consumers doing? What are their behavior? How are people moving? Are they coming back to the office? How are they spending? Are they traveling? Where are they traveling to? So in that context, um, we put together through the fall and into the early year, um, uh, what is I think the most unique economic and social dashboard in the country. It's a place you can go as a public service, you might have an interest in what's going on in real estate prices, or you might have an interest in what's going on in retail sales, or what's going on on trade, which impacts your job or your community. And you can get it in real time and you can configure it and compare BC's results to the rest of the country province by province. But you can also compare it over time. So what happened month to month, what happened year to date, what happened over the year. And we're gonna keep adding data to uh, the streaming platform, uh, you know, we'll probably have Visa debit transactions in the next little while. We'll have TransLink ridership in the Lower Mainland or BC Transit ridership and how that rebounds. Uh, so some really interesting things that can help inform your thinking around the decisions you make in your household, in your business, or frankly with governments. And also some social aspects of that in terms of how are we making out on things like the opioid crisis or homelessness and all of those things that touch us in different and profound ways. So it's an accurate, uh, statistically valid. Um, we've got bots behind the scenes that go out and look for the data three times a day and then verify it and put it up on the dashboard. And then the service that we provide at the Business Council is we also do some contextual uh, interpretation of the data. And then also here's some thinking of things we should be doing because as we know, the economic recovery globally and in British Columbia is already underway. It started in Q4 of last year. And so what do we need to do to get moving uh, with common purpose and speed? And, and the dashboard is just a tool to be able to help us think about the facts and act on them. That's tremendous. Just, it, it sounds like it's an incredible resource that you just, that you don't see. And you do, like you mentioned with the delay on data, especially from stats, can there's always, it, it comes out and you know that it comes out because the press release has been regurgitated the next day. And there's never really that, that really accurate to, yeah, anyways, the, the level that you're providing is is quite unusual. Yeah, good example of that is the labor market data. You know, the last Friday of every month, <clears throat> it comes out and says, well, here's how many jobs were created or how many jobs we lost. And, you know, you have to really know where to look and hunt and peck for what's going on. Well, this automatically, it comes out at six in the morning by 6.02, it's on the site. It's disaggregated around male, female participation in the labor force, part-time, full-time jobs, uh, where the job's located by sector. Uh, it really gives you some good insight so you don't have to go, as I said, rooting around and or listen to interpretation of people that have a vested interest in their perspective, so. Yeah, when you talked about to, uh, within the last minute or so about specific recommendations or opportunities for the government, is there a couple that stick out right now um, as we seem to be gaining traction with uh, the vaccination and, and hoping herd immunity or whatever 
that looks like now? Yeah, well, I, I would answer that question in, in two ways. So um, one of the things that isn't well known in British Columbia is that we have a very high quality of life. And there's many things that we do very, very well compared to the rest of the world that we don't give ourselves credit for. One of them is uh, we, um, uh, as an exporting open trading economy, rely on high wage jobs and revenue to governments to support our social programs through natural resources and energy exports. We're very good at it. And we have some of the best people in the world at it, not just in terms of the extraction and movement of those goods, but the technology that goes into reducing emissions and reducing the environmental impacts. And also we often see the headlines of First Nation opposition to some projects, but in fact, BC among any place in the country has over 550 really strong and progressive partnerships with indigenous communities, advancing uh, opportunity for sole source income for those communities that en enable self-determination, which is really at the essence of UNDRIP. And so BC in many ways stands out globally uh, on this. And we're doing an ESG series we're starting next week that will touch on some of those opportunities and some of the good things we've already done. The challenge we got is that BC is a climate leader but we started that climate leadership in 2008 with a carbon tax. And as you will recall, <clears throat> BC continued on, but that was right at, before the financial crisis happened. And you know, at the Business Council, we hosted Arnold Schwarzenegger and then Premier Campbell to sign the Western Climate Initiative. And so when the financial crisis happened, everyone stopped, including Mr. Schwarzenegger, but BC continued on. And it was the right thing to do, and we supported carbon taxes and still do, but the problem was we got way out ahead of every other jurisdiction in the world. And we haven't changed the structure of the carbon tax to recognize the reality of what's going on globally. So if I'm in Europe right now, if I have what's called the trade exposed industry, meaning I produce products here, but ship them globally, um, we're not the price setter. International commodity markets set the price. So I've got some companies in our membership that pay 80 to $90 million a year in carbon tax that other competing jurisdictions don't pay. And what it means is if I make an investment, uh, I have to take that 80 or $90 million into consideration around investment in BC that I don't take into consideration elsewhere. So what Canada has done and what every other jurisdiction in the world has done, most recently Washington state just two weeks ago passed cap and trade legislation is they say, look, uh, let's not add the carbon tax to those products that get uh, exported so they can compete on a level playing field. And the great thing in BC is back to my comment about we're really good at it. We did an analysis working with the province and the federal government for two years. And the headline is this, the things we sell to the world in natural resources and energy on average are half the climate causing GHG intensity of competing jurisdictions products. So if I buy copper from Highland Valley in British Columbia, it's less than half the GHG intensity of copper from Australia or South America. So when I buy an electric vehicle that has four times more copper in it, if it's got BC copper in it, I'm actually doing better for climate and better for the environment going forward. And that's true of forest products. Our aluminum out of British Columbia is the lowest in the world. Our LNG that's in the middle of being developed right now is the lowest in the world. And the reality is climate change is a global issue. And so I use the analogy that um, if all 5.1 million British Columbians left the province, 
we would still be impacted by climate change in terms of rising sea levels and weather events and other circumstances. But we have lost the economic opportunity to be a solution globally to climate change. So uh, our emissions are about 65 million tons. And to put it in some perspective, if we all left and shut that down, uh, we'd still have some emissions because of you know, old growth trees that emit emission, carbon emissions, those kinds of things. Um, but we will have solved China's emission problem, which is one of the biggest emitters in the world for 1.7 days. <laughs> so why wouldn't we give them in trade, <laughs> sell them in trade, uh, our copper, our forest products, our LNG, our aluminum that go into solar panels, that go into build out the products that we buy back here, like iPhones and other circumstances. We would create economic wealth that can go into creating higher wages, driving new innovation like hydrogen, uh, which is the next opportunity in the energy space, and reduce China's emissions going forward. Um, but what stands in the way of that right now is that we, we don't protect energy intensive trade exposed industries and we apply this carbon tax to it. Nowhere else in Canada does it. And so BC needs to fix that as one example. The other one, just quickly to finish your question, is in the technology space. Every business is a technology business today. But we, you know, everyone says, well, we're great at this, we're great at that. We're really good at a number of things in BC, world class, in fact. So a lot of the vaccines have mRNA technology built into them from British Columbia, from UBC, and from other entrepreneurs in the marketplace. We are great at uh, life sciences and biotherapeutics. Uh, we have one of the best genomic centers in the world, which is sequencing DNA to figure out um, precision medicine on an individual basis, which is a rapidly expanding opportunity. So we could drive a life sciences strategy on biotechnology, biotherapeutics, and in trials, you know, speeding up the point from an idea through to a product in the marketplace and be uh, one of the world leaders in that area. Uh, secondly is we are really good at agri-food and agri-tech, but we're small. We've got some of the most interesting disruptive companies in the world right now that are gonna take 90% of pesticides out of the environment that get over 100% yield growth. And they're using machine learning and technology and satellite data uh, to be able to optimize revenue for farmers to create what's called carbon sequestration in the land base. So using soil to take carbon out of the atmosphere that ultimately helps climate. But what it does is it creates a revenue stream going forward because companies are going to buy carbon credits and offsets in order to get to their net zero 050 or net zero 030 commitments. So we're good in that space. We're very good, uh, obviously, in visualization of data. So AR and VR, uh, you see it in FX in, in Victoria and in, in Vancouver and in Kelowna in the movie industry, but in gaming. And that technology is now being applied into life sciences. It's being applied into forestry. It's being applied into First Nations community. They're taking all of the data on species at risk and traditional territories and stacking it and then visualizing it. So you can imagine something like the Site C Dam where all of the data of biodiversity and land use and others, and you put VR goggles on and you're standing by the river and you can say, oh, what happens if the flow regime increases? How do I protect a boat launch or a sacred site? So we've got a material opportunity to be the first digital climate and environment regulator in the world and do that in a material way where BC is pretty complex place of 70% uh, of 
the country's biodiversity, a third of indigenous First Nations language speakers, and uh, 12 different climactic zones. And we've got you know, over 900,000 square kilometers of coastline. So massive opportunities for companies to come here and build platforms, if you will, the Amazon of, uh, of environmental um, uh, preservation and sustainability. So it's some really cool opportunities in that space. And then, as I said, that our natural resources and energy space, they're actually the biggest drivers of research and of innovation and of technology and infrastructure. Uh, you know, for example, we've got a third of the emissions of methane uh, in the world compared to other jurisdictions uh, from pipeline leakage or activity uh, happening in our uh, gas, gas fields up in northeastern BC. So if people just adopted British Columbia's approach to methane capture, we would actually have a demonstrable reduction in climate change uh, emissions around the world, whether that's in the US or in Russia or in Qatar or other places. Wow. It's, you know, it's really encouraging to hear that because I think, you know, you look at a lot of headlines and you think that if we don't have construction, uh, everything else is, you know, is non-existent or we don't have any kind of backup plan outside of that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I appreciate you digging deep on that. A question that I have to, to loop back on the, the resource extraction side of things um, and, it, it just, and BC's level of, of sustainable practices, there seems to be, well, I wouldn't say there seems to be, there is a, an information gap, maybe an education gap in the general public or like the electorate between how significantly advanced BC is in this area compared to other countries. And there's a question I had here about financial literacy as well, and it's a similar root issue of education relating to uh, you know, things like deficit spending and people not really being able to parallel uh, these big topics into their own lives and it's the impact of it. Are you able to, can you, do you have some thoughts about a solution to that education gap? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been ongoing in Canada for decades, uh, but it's not uncommon around the world people just don't have to think about where things come from and where their quality of life gets generated. I mean, we've got a very high quality of life in Canada and British Columbia. And we've had about a two decade run where it's been pretty good. Uh, and I don't wanna diminish, there are marginalized people and communities, in, including indigenous communities for, for that matter that have not enjoyed that good run. Uh, but that being said, uh, we haven't had to think about it. We've become a bit complacent as a country just because we've got used to the fact that good things happen and governments have money to spend on programs and others. But, you know, if you were to ask uh, the average British Columbian, uh, where does the electricity come from, from the wall outlet? Um, most people couldn't find the Williston Dam on a map. And that was an investment that was made back in the 1960s and 1970s and upgraded recently. Um, and so, that takes time and takes uh, capital to be able to do that. Uh, similarly, on our natural resources, um, as I said, we actually have created some of the most innovative approaches to reducing not just carbon emissions, but environmental footprint anywhere in the world. We do it well because we've had the wealth as a society to focus on environmental protection, where a lot of other places just simply don't have that luxury. A good example is, um, Tech Resources is a global company that started here in British Columbia. Uh, they employ tens of thousands of people globally. They operate in the US and Latin America here. Finning International is another company, BC company. They're the biggest Caterpillar dealer. 
in the world. Um, they operate in the UK, across the country, and in Latin America as well. But if I go back to tech, um, they have extraordinarily high value practices and technology around how they protect the mine operations that they undertake. Um, they've been doing sustainability reporting for over a decade in the ESG framework. They are true leaders globally in that space. They've One of the things they mine is zinc, and they created an, a global zinc organization because a lot of people die globally of dysentery, and it's because zinc is deficient in their diet. So they've saved literally uh, tens and tens of thousands of people's lives by providing zinc supplements. But where they get to their operational excellence is that uh, they, in, back to my comment about research and development, they invest in all kinds of interesting companies to try to solve problems they've got, whether it's uh, selenium in the water column or whether it's uh, how do they reduce energy and or disruption of the environment in a mining business. So one great example is a company called MindSense. Um, it's a company that developed technology that you, if you've been to a mine, there's these massive trucks uh, that have scoops on the front of them. I'm using uh, my terminology, not the technical terminology. Um, and they lift up tons of rock. And the key in mining is you, you take the rock you need and process it. Could be steel making coal or copper or iron ore or something else. Uh, <clears throat> and you take that out and leave the other rock behind and then you reclaim the site back to the way it looked before you started. Um, MindSense is this interesting company where they put senses, sensors on that big shovel scoop and it immediately scans all of the rock in the shovel and says, you know what, the grade of uh, steel making coal in this circumstance is high enough that we should process this shovel load. So off goes the truck, it puts it into the processing facility, extracts the steel making coal and off you go. So you can think about it, not every shovel load is going to meet that grade. So you reduce the emissions you've got, you reduce the power and energy it takes to break the rock apart, you, you create efficiencies in terms of your labor force and the capital you're employing. And that's a BC company. They are going to become the global standard for the way that you do mining, uh, as an example. But that wouldn't happen without companies like tech and big firms that are growing, that have the resources to make the bets on those kinds of firms uh, in the future. So. Uh, we do some, you know, that's one example. We do thousands of those in British Columbia that get, get exported. I talked about the methane example in the natural gas space earlier. Um, we've been doing natural gas uh, work and, and fracking in, in, in BC for uh, 60 or 70 years or longer. Uh, so we're really good at it. And it's a very technical innovation driven business. Um, you know, most of the companies are using recirculated water, uh, which the public doesn't know. Um, they think that you're using fresh water somehow, but they're actually using the water and then using it again and using it again uh, through really sophisticated technology that's developed in BC and Alberta. So some great examples, and that's an export industry in the clean tech space. So if everyone else bought the stuff that we're creating uh, and integrated it, uh, more jobs, technology jobs, clean jobs, but ultimately, um, all of those companies produce things we need. Um, you need metal on um, the microphone that you've got in front of you. You need aluminum in solar panels. You need uh, some kinds of minerals in pharmaceuticals going forward. So um, the, the connection to your point around literacy, people just need to think about the supply chain. And I think COVID's actually exposed that, that all of a sudden, 
you know, toilet paper wasn't on the shelves and people go, well, why isn't it? Well, that's back to, again, economic literacy and risk and, and who actually makes that stuff happen. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.